Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5 today. Ephesians chapter number 5. Today we are continuing our series of messages on love changes everything. Love changes everything. And as I mentioned to you as we began this series last week, um, that it's more of a teaching than it is preaching as uh, we kind of look at cultivating grace into our homes and into our families. And today I want to be specific in talking about spiritual leadership in the home. Spiritual leadership in the home. Ephesians chapter number 5, very familiar passage of scripture. And uh, But today I just want to share some very simplistic thoughts with you, but maybe some thoughts that will encourage you um, as, a, as a man and as a woman, as a mother, as a father, a grandmother, grandfather, uh, aunt, uncle, wherever you find yourself at uh, in your life, uh, to be an encouragement to those that you are influencing uh, by cultivating the grace that God so desires to be within our home. Often, in our fast-paced society, we feel so busy, we get buried, we get behind, and that we don't take time to invest in our families. And I think the honest truth is, is that if we were honest with each other, we would say that this is probably the case, even though we may not want it to be. That, that we get so busy and that we get so buried with things that are happening in our life that we don't always, are, or we're not always able to invest the amount of time that we so desire into our family. But this is what I want to say, that, that in many cases that it's important that the time that you have with your family, uh, whatever capacity that may be, that it becomes quality time. It becomes a time where you are cultivating grace, where you are, you're teaching and you're growing your family uh, into the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. God knows, and, and this is so important, you might want to write this down, this is such a, a great thought. God knows that our relationships are more important than our accomplishments. Did you catch that? Our relationships are so much more important than our accomplishments, and he challenges us to grow in love. Listen, uh, you, you can have all kind of accomplishments in your life, but it's, it boils down, bottom line, to the relationships in which you have. I have to tell you, and it saddens me at times as I perform funerals and other things, and, and you see in, many, in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, you think to yourself as you come and there are just a few people at a funeral, you think to yourself, was there so much involved in trying to pursue accomplishment that there was never any time for relationship? And by the way, that is what the church is for. It's part of that. It's part of that growing and mentoring our relationships with each other, our relationships with God. Because when we're out and about in this world, the relationships that we uh, obtain through work and through other uh, elements of life, they can be uh, ungodly relationships And the fact that there is no God in the middle of it, even though we try to witness, even though we try to invest in them spiritually. But they may not understand that. And so what they need and what people need need to see is that we take time to invest our lives and invest our relationships when we come to church and when we're founded and based upon the Word of God. So today, if you have your Bibles, you'll stand with me. Ephesians chapter number 5, a very familiar passage of Scripture when we begin reading it. You'll know it. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse number 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The Bible says this, Husbands, 
Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord for the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This, in fact, is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. I pray that you'll bless the few moments that we have together today. Lord, may we be encouraged and strengthened by the word of God. Lord, we love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, we're going to focus on the leadership in the home. We, we've just read a passage of scripture that is referring to husbands and wives and, and comparing the relationship of the husband and wife to Jesus Christ and the church. And today, I just want to uh, uh, pick up some thoughts about the spiritual leadership in the home and how it should be according to the word of God. Now, you may be hearing you say, Pastor, I'm not married, so I can just tune you out. No, no, no. Th- this is applicable to everyone because every Everyone has a part in some family. Everyone has a part in some relationship. And so we can certainly all learn from the same thing. If you're in the habit of taking notes on the back of your bullets and there's an outline, number one, we're talking about leadership in the home, a leader's love. A leader's love. That, the leader in the home, you understand, could be different people. The Bible talks about that the husband is the head of the home. But if there is no husband in your home, then the wife is leading the home, or, or the, the, the woman is leading the home as a single parent, or whatever the case might be. Or it could be that you're raising your grandchildren, and so the grandparent is the leader in the home. And, and, and sometimes, and in some cases, there are teenagers, uh, older teenagers that are at home, and, and, and they're raising children while, while their parents Parents or parents are out working and doing other things. And so when we talk about leadership in the home, this is applicable to anyone uh, that is a leader in the home. So number one, a leader's love, a leader's love. Uh, first of all, the definition of biblical love. If we don't have a understanding of what real biblical love is, then we will not ever know how to display it. I'm, I'm concerned that that word love has just become another part of our vernacular. That there is no true meaning behind it. You know, for some reason, we can say, I love you to my wife, but we can also say, I love spaghetti. I'm hoping that it's two different meanings, right? Um, You know, and it's just become something that we say all the time. You know, I love this, and I love that, and I love this over here, and I love that. Well, what does that word really mean? And I I think we need to take it from a biblical sense of what true love really, truly should be within our homes. So let's take a quick look at what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're just going to put the verses on the screen for you. Starting in verse number 4. Charity or love suffereth long and is kind. 
Charity or love envieth not. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity or in sin or in wrongdoing, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things and endureth all things. Now we read that passage of scripture and we're like, okay, I got it. But I think it's important that as we talk about biblical love, that just for a moment we break down that passage of scripture in a teaching moment to help us better understand what love really is. So first of all, there's patient love. There's patient love. You know, if you're anything like me, you you want to say, "Uh, uh, Lord, uh, I'm going to have patience, but could you hurry up? All right. Patient love. Now, I know that your children are not like my children, but sometimes my children require patience out of me. They do things or they say things and and you immediately want to react. But in a moment like that, it sometimes is better for us to take a moment and be patient with the situation. What does that word patient mean? Love is patient. It means this, slowness to anger. Or a better way to say it is a long time to boil. Yesterday, we were getting ready for this lady's tea, and my wife uh, took a big pot, and she wanted me to fill up the, the little tea uh, uh, containers on the table with hot water. So we filled up a big pot and put it on the stove over there. I kept walking by. Nothing was moving inside of the water. Kept waiting for it to boil. Is it ever going to boil? Miss Sharon said, if you stare at it, it'll never boil, Pastor. A long time to boil. In other words... And please understand what I'm about to say. I'm not being critical. But a a long time before the yelling and the screaming and the overreacting begins in your home. You see, it's patience. The Bible tells us that when we're talking about relationships, whether it's a man, a woman, or a child, or children... The Bible tells us that we have to be patient. We have to be patient. Why do we have to be patient, Pastor? Because we're all human nature. We all have human flesh. We all have an easy switch of getting upset and angry. Well, it's important that we practice patience. Love practices being patient. The term suffereth long is a reference to having patience with people. Patience with people. So first of all, love is patient. Second of all, love is kind. It's kind love. What does that mean? To be kind means to be useful, to be serving, and to be gracious. It's wise to remember that anger is just one letter short of danger. Did you catch that? It's being kind. It's being useful. It's being a servant. It's being gracious. Love is kind. Third of all... It's a humble love. It's a humble love. What does that mean? You see, arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. Right? Arrogance says, well, I've got it all under control, and I'm not going to listen, and I'm not going to be useful with anyone or anything in my home. Love says that I'm going to be big-hearted. I'm going to do whatever it takes necessary so that my home is full of love and compassion and kindness. Oh, this is a tough one sometimes. Love is forgiving. I believe the two hardest words in the English language are I'm sorry. 
because of the pride that resonates in our lives. You see, it's forgiving love. You see, you can measure your love for someone by how soon you forgive them. Yesterday, there was a young lady on this stage, Missy Jenkins Smith, who was shot, paralyzed from the chest down. She gave her testimony. If you were here yesterday, it was an amazing testimony of what God has done in her life. But one of the things that really just jumped out at me was that she said that she met this young man in prison, or excuse me, not in prison, but she met him uh, on the stand as he was being sentenced. And she got up there, she was in a wheelchair, got up there and and faced the man that shot her when he was 14 years old and and shot her. And this is what she said to him as, as many had gone before her and had screamed at him and yelled at him and told him how terrible that he had made their lives. Missy got up on that, pla- uh, on that podium there that day, and she looked at him, and she said, I just want you to know something. She said, I forgive you. I don't know how many people could do that. But the story didn't stop there. This is what's amazing to me. She goes on to say that several years later, she went to the prison to where he is at. She sat across from him, and he looked at her, and he said, as she got ready to leave, I've never told you this before. He said, but I want you to know that I'm sorry. Can I tell you something that really stuck in my mind? That he never said he was sorry until he knew that she forgave him. Sometimes it takes us, even though we're the ones that's hurt, even though we're the ones that's been hurt, It takes us saying that real love is forgiving love. It is me going to that person and saying, in spite of what you've done to me, I forgive you and I love you. Not only that, it's believing love. It's believing love. Biblical love is not suspicious. It's not cynical. If there is a doubt about, if there is a doubt about a situation, a loving person would rather err to the favorable side because biblical love is a harbor of trust. Biblical love is a harbor of trust. It's a trusting love. It's a humble love. Not only that, something that's missing as an element in our world today. Biblical love is enduring love. It's enduring love. What does that mean? Love endures until the end. That word endures in the Greek means this. Holds a vital position. It holds a vital position. In other words, when I made a commitment in my life with a relationship, I'm going to hold that relationship in a vital position in my life, and I'm going to allow it to endure until the end. Can I tell you, we live in a day when relationship commitments are often abandoned on a whim. They're they're just, at a very moment, a fleeting moment, they're given up on. Can I tell you something? Aren't you thankful that every time you mess up, God doesn't give up on you? And I want you to know that we need uh, men and we need women that, that will understand the biblical commitment of marriage and the biblical commitment of relationship to each other. And that it's a relationship of trust and it's a relationship of longevity and it's a relationship of true, biblical, enduring love. It holds a vital position. Secondly, the display of biblical love. We have the definition of the biblical love. What's the display? What's our example? Who is our example? First of all, Jesus humbled himself. 
Jesus humbled himself. The book of Philippians tells us in chapter number 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. What does that mean? He came from heaven to earth, born in a manger, lived 33 and a half years. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto what? Death. Even the death of the what? cross even the death of the cross you see biblical love is a is jesus sacrificing himself second of all jesus sacrificed uh, sacrificially gave he sacrificially gave the bible says in ephesians 5 25 husbands love your wives even as what christ loved the church and gave himself for it Gave himself for it. Listen, men, uh, love is something that in many cases for us is an inward thing. It is something that, that, that becomes factual. Maybe I should say it that way. Love becomes factual in many men's lives. It, and, and rarely sometimes it's displayed. And rarely sometimes is it offered. Can I tell you that, that men, that as, as we are to be examples of Christ... That our love runs so deep that it is so sacrificial that we are willing to give our very lives for the love that is within our families. Listen, I promise you, uh, you talk to me, you talk to even my father and, and mom that's here today, and, and I think every man in this room would say the same thing, that, that don't, you can mess with me all you want to, but don't mess with my family, right? Don't mess with my family. Listen, men, if we really truly mean that, if we really truly mean that, then stop making it an outward motion of mouth and start making it a reality inside of your home. Make it something that, that is lived out. I talked to you about this last week, about expressing our love and saying the words I love you to our children and to our spouses and how very vitally important that is. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, for God so... Oh, there's that word. He expressed it. And he continues to express it to us today. Selfish, selfish motives will hinder true love. Selfish motives are based on the fantasy that new experiences and relationships will satisfy. Somebody once said that the grass is greener on the other side. That may be true, but the water bill is a lot higher. Listen, when, when, you go, when you go out and you think that things will be better if we, if we leave this relationship behind and go to that relationship and, and change from that relationship to this relationship, listen, th th that is not biblical. Biblical love is enduring love. It is not selfish. Even when relationship after relationship proved disappointing, people continue to expect to find their fantasized expectation in the next person or in the next experience. And the reason that is, is because unfortunately, and, and please don't get mad at me this morning, but it's the honest truth, Hollywood has fantasized too much about relationships. Uh, 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 the books that we read and the things that we see and the things that we hear have made relationships be something that is not a true expectation. Listen, don't fantasize about what it's going to be like. Biblically, look at what it should be. Because that's what matters. 
Because selfishness wants what it does not have. It therefore always wants more. Yet the more it possesses, the more it still wants. And the less it will be satisfied. You've got to release the selfishness within your relationships. As self is evaluated above true love and immorality, above purity and fantasy, is, above, is elevated above reality. Thus, the ungodly and immoral life is destined to illusion and to misery. Listen. Jesus Christ being the ultimate example. Everything about his life was giving. Everything about his life and ministry is where he was on this earth. What was he doing? He was constantly giving. Even as, even as he would try to go away from the crowds and find rest, the crowds would follow him. Would he reject the crowds? No. He would embrace the crowds and continue to give. That's what love is. Love is not self-absorbed. It is, it is the, the, the epitome of just giving everything we have to our relationship, holding nothing Back. John chapter 13, verse 34, the Bible says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you what? Love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by the love, not by anything else. He didn't say, by the wedding ring. He didn't say, by, by, by a, a, a birth certificate. He did not say, by the things that we give to our children or to our spouses. He didn't say that. He said, by love shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love, one to another. Number two, not only a leader's love, but a leader's labor. A leader's labor. What is it that inside of the home, biblically, when we talk about working and we talk about working at our relationships, what is our responsibility? First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Man, if you, if you don't get anything else I say out of this message, will you just grab this verse and hold on to it? First uh, Peter chapter 3. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving, what's the next word? Honor. Unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the what? Grace. Remember cultivating grace in our homes. Together of the grace of life. Why? Oh, look at that. Listen, I, 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 I take the word of God for what it is. Okay? That's all I can do. I can just give you the black and white and, and find a conclusion. You want to say to me, Pastor, my prayers are not being answered. God is not listening to me. Could I ask you a question? Are you honoring your wife? Are you, are you, are you being the husband that you should be? As unto, and I know ladies that in this day and time, we don't like to be referred to that idea of the weaker vessel. But the honest truth is, is that the Bible has not changed. And weaker is not necessarily referring uh, uh, to the poise of yourself. It is referring to the fact that in a, in a biblical, God-sent relationship, the husband is the head of the home. And, and he has to take that responsibility. 
And the wife has her responsibilities. But as men that God has instituted into us, that understanding that the order that God has given into a marriage relationship, and as, look at this, as being heirs, what? Together. Together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. God doesn't merely want us to work harder at our relationships. He wants us to work smarter. In other words, he wants us to work biblically with our relationships. First of all, a labor to sanctify. A labor to sanctify. That word sanctify means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. I, I, listen, as a Christian marriage and family, we should look different than the world. Right? We, we should be set apart. People should know that, that there's a family that serves God, that loves God, that cares about God. We should be set apart. First of all, how do we sanctify? We sanctify by consecration. We sanctify by consecration. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter number 20. Many people always say, oh, pastor, all that everybody refers to is in the New Testament when it comes to sanctification. You know, sanctification originated way back in the Garden of Eden. It is nothing new. It's not a grace versus a law thing. It is what God requires is sanctification. Leviticus chapter number 20. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. Why? For I, the Lord, I am the Lord your God. Verse number 8. And you shall keep my statutes and do them. And I, the Lord, which sanctify you. How do I become sanctified? My job is to do what God has called me to do. And then it's God's job to help me through the sanctification process. That's, that, that's the order. Number two, we sanctify by cleansing. By cleansing. You know the verse, Psalm chapter 119, verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking what? Heed. Heed thereto according to thy word. And in other words, by, by finding yourselves in the word of God. Not only a labor to sanctify, but a labor to strengthen. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at me in verse number 29. Look what it says. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, excuse me, uh, even as the Lord, the church. For no man yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it. In other words, he strengthens it. So it's a labor to strengthen our families as leaders in our home. Strengthened by nourishing and cherishing. Nourish and cherish speak of feeding and warming. We need to encourage and praise our spouses and our children. You ready? Here it comes. I'm proud of you. My, listen, I know my parents are here this morning. I might get in trouble in just a moment, but here it comes. My mom and dad could tell me that they loved me all they wanted to. And I, I love to hear the words, I love you. I like that. But when my dad would say, I'm proud of you, son, that was a whole nother ball game. Whole nother ball game. It was, a, it was like my dad said to me, I'm giving you affirmation. I'm affirming that what you're doing, you're doing well. 
And to hear someone say that they're proud of you, it just does something. I've never seen, now listen, I'm just going to be real straightforward. I've never seen somebody say to somebody else, I'm proud of you. And then the person that they said it to go. (laughs) When anybody ever says to me they're proud of me, even though I don't want to, sometimes it just gets there. And this is what I have to do. i got to turn around a little bit. Let me walk away for a minute. I'll come back, you know. I'm proud of you. It's strengthening. It's nourishing. It's praise. Let's get real for a moment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to myself, all right? When's the last time we told our spouse, man, you look good, Right? You're, you look beautiful today. Now, now look at all the men. I see them. They're all leaning over to their wives. You look good today, honey. I'm telling you, I saw it. You, you just didn't think I saw it. You all leaned up. Look at them. Now they're turning red. Uh, you look good today. You're beautiful today. You're handsome today. How, how about this? Hey, thank you for going to work today. Right? I'm proud of you for what you do. I can't tell my husband I'm proud of him. I can't tell my wife I'm proud of her. Why not? Praise. Admiration. Why? Because one day, my children are going to get married. And they are going to emulate what happened to my home in their own home. Are you with me? You see... You strengthen by nourishing, by cherishing, by loving. We talked about this last week. Is it always deserved? No. But neither is salvation. But in spite of who I am, God still loves me. God is glorified through a home that is purifying, protecting, and providing. Number three, and I'm done. A leader's legacy. What will we leave? When it's all done and said, what will we leave behind? What will be our legacy left in our home? Let's consider the proposed relationship between a spirit-led husband and a spirit-led wife to that relationship between Christ and His church. First of all, the testimony of Christ is uplifted. Look at me in verse 25 in our passage. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church... And gave himself for it. Listen, that is the testimony of Jesus Christ right there. That he loved the church and he gave himself for it. So should the testimony of every husband in this, in this uh, congregation. That he loves his family and that he gave everything he possibly had to his family. The testimony of Christ is uplifted. A Christian home exemplifies the love between Christ and the church. Often when Christians quit the world, blames their faith. When Christians say, I can no longer be involved in church. I can no longer be involved in this Christian life. The world blames their lack of faith. Well, the truth is, a legacy of faithfulness to Christ should be every parent's and spouse's goal. I said to you last week that church is not a suggestion Church is something that has to be accomplished in our lives. Why? Because it helps us personally, but it also ingrains things into our children. I'm going to tell you what happened. And what happens every single week in my house. We go to school. We'll go to school tomorrow. I'll pick up my boys from school, and this is what they'll say. Is it church day? I'm telling you, ask anybody in my home, they'll tell you. Is it church day? 
No, we have churches on Wednesday night. That's the next time we go to church. How many days, Dad? Two days. All right. Tuesday morning, they'll wake up. One more day, Dad, we'll go to church. That's right. We'll go to church. When my children wake up on Sunday mornings, they don't ask me, are we going to church? They look to mom and say, what am I wearing to church? You say, Pat, but you're the pastor. Can I tell you? Growing up in my home, my dad was not a pastor. My dad is not a deacon. My dad was a Sunday school teacher and an usher. When I woke up on Sunday mornings, you know what I did? Hey, Mom, what am I wearing to church? Sometimes I would say, (coughs) I don't feel good today. And my mom would say, your outfit is laying out on your bed. Now, now please don't get mad at me. I don't feel like going to that youth activity. I'm sorry, here's the money. Have a good time. Right? That's good preaching right there, preacher. I appreciate that. Listen, listen to me, church. Church, when it comes to our families, we want to raise our children. We want to raise them in the nurture and admission of the Lord. What does that mean? That means giving them godly influence. That means giving them godly direction. That means, uh, 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 we talked about guardrails last week. We talked about giving biblical guardrails to steer them in the direction of God. Why don't my children have any good friends? Because you give them too many options. And it's not just, please don't think it's just because I'm the pastor. I'm going to be real honest with you. It breaks my heart every time I get a phone call and I have to sit with a family and they look at me and say, why, pastor? Why? That's not always because they've given their children the option whether or not to go to church or whether or not to be involved. But I can tell you nine times out of ten, that's the case. Listen. Our goal as a family should be faithfulness to God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. When marriages are spirit-controlled, they bring glory to Jesus Christ. And this is our purpose for existence. And then letter B, and I'm done. The testimony of the family continues. The testimony of the family continues. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31 and verse number 28. One of the greatest Mother's Day verses that there is. The Bible says, Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praiseth her. And he praiseth her. Nearly all of us have been touched by various forms of family tragedy. But it should be our desire to draw a line in the sand and say, by God's grace, I will develop a family legacy that brings glory to God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?